This is O Ship, the show where experts and leaders look back at their biggest moments of failure just so you can avoid making them. And there is no one better to squeeze the naked truth out of our charismatic guests than your host, Chameleon Collective Founding Partner, Freddie Laker. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another week of O Ship. This week, we're going to take a different approach from what we normally do. As you know, on OSHIP, sometimes we feature entrepreneurs, we feature business leaders, we feature ventures, all kinds of people with interesting stories, but typically with a business slant. Well, today, I'm going to introduce you to someone called Tina Kroc. Tina and I met when she was the VP of e-commerce at Step 2, uh, which was an uh, engagement uh, that we ended up doing at Community Collective. We met uh, you know, as colleagues then, and years later, we ended up being colleagues at Camus and Collective, so she work, works with us at the Collective. But she has a very interesting story. Beyond having professional success, she's dealt with her fair share of personal challenges. Uh, she has an adorable son called Miles, who has suffered with heart issues his entire life. And that has really caused her to reflect on her life and approach her professional and personal life in a way that I find to be really refreshing and really inspiring. And so today we're going to bring Tina on to help other people maybe find some of the positivity in everything that they do so they can focus on overcoming some of life's challenges. So today's episode is called Always a Blessing, Never a Burden. And here we go with another week of O-Ship. You know, welcome to O'Ship. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, Freddie. How are you? I'm doing great. It's nice. You know, we, we have a lot of O'Ship moments, we call them here. Uh, and I think uh, this is, it's nice to have one that I think has got such a personal touch. I'm really looking forward to uh, sharing your story with our audience today. I've grown to know you pretty well over the years, but our audience doesn't. Uh, I would love to hear a little bit about your background so the audience can get to know you better as well. Sure, sure. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So professionally, I'm sure you mentioned that I was the VP of e-commerce at the Step 2 company, which is a kid's toy company when you and I met. Um, Gosh, back in 2016, which is crazy. You know, prior to that, I spent a lot of my career in um, startups and working for companies that were focused digital first. I think you did a stint at insurance.com even at one point, didn't you? I was, I was, which... uh, Insurance.com at the time was worth more money than sex.com, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> you know you're the real deal when dot, dot, totally. dot. <laughs> totally. But it was awesome. I actually had a phenomenal experience there, and it made me realize like that I was so passionate about the digital experience and just like getting that real-time feedback and knowing that what you're doing is um, having an impact or not pretty quickly. So that's kind of what drove me to stay in in that arena. Joined uh, Step 2 in 2009 and segueing into my personal side of this, uh, got pregnant with our, our first and only child in 2010. I had Miles in July of 2011. And gosh, I guess at our 20-week ultrasound, we thought we were going to do this super cool thing um, at the time and not find out the gender, right? Like that seemed really cool. And um, we were in the ultrasound and they were just taking a super long time. And I tend to be pessimistic 
Uh, like, like that's my natural way. I wouldn't have guessed that about you. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's my that's my go to. That's my default. They walked out of the room, and I said to my husband, "I said something's wrong." And he said, "What do you mean?" I'm like, "They took way too much time." And I thought she was in the area of the heart, but I had no no way of knowing that for sure. And uh, she came back and said, "Hey, we're going to move you to a room. There's not a doctor that's here on you know at this this location today. Totally normal. We're going to have the doctor call you." I'm like, uh-uh, like <laughs> something's not normal about this. So we go to this room, there's a phone in there and uh, we answer the phone and the doctor's on the phone and said, you know, we're only seeing three chambers of the heart. There's supposed to be four. I said, okay, what does that mean? And they said, well, we're not sure. We, we need you to come to our main hospital here in Cleveland. Thankfully, we live in um, in Cleveland, Ohio, which there are a lot of great hospitals. Yeah. Yeah. So we headed, we headed downtown and long story short, we were there with uh, two doctors for two and a half hours. You know, things are not good when you have that personal level of care for that length of time. And we had two doctors uh, that were telling us that our son had what appeared to be, it's called double inlet left ventricle or single ventricle function. It's a, a complex congenital heart defect. And that we would probably, he would probably require surgery at birth. He would require surgeries over the course of his life. And that with the technology that existed in 2011, he would eventually need a heart transplant. So that's terrifying. (laughs) Yes. And uh, actually at that point, I don't think we knew the gender. I, I think like, I think my only response was, can you tell me if it's a boy or a girl? Like, again, we will. Yeah, we <laughs> like at this point, might as well um, figure totally. that out. Yeah, fair enough. Totally. And these docs like played good cop and bad cop. And one was like, you know, you might want to ab- ab- abort the pregnancy. You know, this, this is going to be super tough on your marriage. And this was a Friday and we were coming back the following Monday for some genetic testing and to meet with a pediatric cardiologist. So we came home that that Friday, and I don't think my husband and I spoke that entire weekend. We were just like super somber, both kind of in our in our own minds. And long story short, we ended up going um, to the doc on that following Monday, met with the pediatric cardiologist that afternoon, and he told us that our son would have an 80% chance of surviving to adulthood. And like at that point we were like high-fiving we're like okay like like we're all in like we're doing this we like we felt like he chose us to be his parents so it was it was our honor and privilege from that point forward to to go all in and be his be his parents right there was a long a long time on that portion of the story fast forward he had a total of four heart surgeries i was working through all of this and my husband was a stay at home dad what i did not realize at the time until after his last surgery is that i ended up like throwing myself into work i didn't become an alcoholic i became a workaholic <laughs> and i was using work to numb and to honestly probably to avoid getting close to my son cuz i was scared it takes a lot to to say that I think on camera and and uh, I I'm I you know I can identify with throwing myself into work. Uh, I know it's what I did when my father passed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can it's it's definitely a coping mechanism. Um, but it obviously it's you know in my case my son uh, my father wasn't around anymore. But you had a son who really needed you. Sounds right. like totally. And it was probably a blessing and a curse that my husband was so great with him because I'm like, he's in good hands. He's in better hands with, with him than he has with me. <laughs> wow. And, and um, 
So, so I guess, how, how did you guys deal with it from there? How, and how's, and how's his health been progressing? Yeah, thanks for asking that. After his last surgery, so his last surgery was in August of 2015. And shortly after that, I started to have like this realization that I needed to be all in. I had committed to being all in, right? So I needed to be all in as a mom. But I realized that I needed to do some work on myself if I was going to be a good mom. So I started doing things like looking at yoga and meditation and EFT tapping and just some different alternative therapies as well as traditional therapy. And in doing that, I think, honestly, I think what happened, I was, um, I was upstairs doing the laundry in October of 2016, and I was watching like an Oprah Soul Series or something. And she said something about being all in on your life that really resonated with me. And I came downstairs and I said to my husband, I said, Joe, I want to quit my job. And keep in mind, he's not working, right? (laughs) I'm sole income. (laughs) And uh, he said, okay. (laughs) And like, that was, that was our conversation. So I actually went in and resigned the next day because I did it like without any thought, without contemplation, without. It's just right around when you and I met. It's right around when you and I won that. Wow. I mean, that must happen with the months of us meeting. That's uh, It's so bizarre. So bizarre. Like the way that all, like that all unfolded. I don't think I was able to tell you because it was so new. It's so new. And we just, we just become friends. So, I mean, you, you, you're someone who, I mean, you, you reworked your career to deal with your life. Yes. And then. You, this is, I would, if you don't mind me saying, classify as ex- extreme adversity. I, I don't know about you, but for me, when I have kind of, I, you know, I call them affairs of the heart, but it's like, you know, when I have those kind of things impacting my life, I really struggle to focus professionally. So I, I can imagine the impact this on you. And I don't think anything I've ever had happening in my life, again, I say this with greatest of my respect, is, is, is probably as scary as some of the things that you've talked about and lasted for years and years and years on end versus maybe a, a month of adversity I had here or six months here. So how, how do you deal with that? How do you separate, you know, kind of the professional and the personal life or is it even separated? I, I don't know. I'd love to understand how, how you've approached that. Yeah, you know, I haven't separated it. And I've been super open and honest in sharing our story. And sometimes I think that might make people feel uncomfortable. And I'm okay with that. I hope that it doesn't. Instead, I hope that by kind of being open and honest and vulnerable, it actually allows the other person to do the same thing, right? And I, I, I appreciate that you said, you know, you haven't been through anything as extreme as this, but it's all relative. You know, I, I've had some good butt kickings over the year. It didn't clear, but, uh, <laughs> exactly. but this, 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 your, your stuff is, you know, is the real, the real deal. So, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've had, um, I've had other parents say to me, like, I couldn't do this. I'm like, yeah, you can like, like whatever life throws your way, you swallow it, you know, you hate the taste of it, but then you try to figure out a way to just move forward. So, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty much an open book. I don't, you know, obviously with, with my clients now that I'm consulting, which, you know, made the transition to that in fall of 2017, so I could be a room mother as well when my son started kindergarten that year. Very cool. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think it's I think it's just important that we acknowledge what we're going through. I don't share that with my clients typically, but if it comes up, like sometimes it comes up naturally and then other people share as well. And like I said, 
we're all just in this human experience together. So I know you kind of said there's some kind of, you know, you don't, you don't separate these two worlds, but you are trying to create some kind of boundaries. It feels like, Um, you know, and, and whether that's how you deal with clients or even maybe how you apply it to your personal life, can you describe kind of how you approach that? Yeah. So I like, Boundaries are something I did not know before <laughs> before this world. And it's one of the things that I actually consider a gift that's come out of this. So I had read this book called Living Forward. And in the book, you're really encouraged to make a list of all of the people that are in your life that are important to you. And then to write down how you want to be remembered by them after you passed away. Fair enough. <laughs> Heavy, right? But in doing that, it really allowed me the opportunity to understand what my priorities were. I actually give that book a lot of the credit for me making the decision to leave corporate America and then to have a super tight boundary around the number of hours that I'm willing to work as a consultant. I've kept myself from probably from a lot of work by keeping that boundary up. But for me, one of my non-negotiables is time with my family. And I think it's super important to identify what those non-negotiables are and then to communicate them out, right? Because people aren't mind readers. So I, I think once you're able to figure out your why, your passion for being, what's important to you, establish your boundaries and non-negotiables around that, and then communicate it out, you start to have the kind of life that you want to have, right? And that's I, like I feel like I've curated a life that I'm happy to have. It's um, that's an interesting kind of concept around you know curation, curating the life that you want to have. And I think the technically people have been able to do this for a long time, uh, but I think maybe more technically because of technology and some of the recent changes in the way that we're all living due to the pandemic, yeah. um, you know, this ability to kind of define your own life from wherever you want, working in the way that you want, has probably never been you know, easier uh, because not only just because of technology facilitating it, but also society being accepting of it. Totally. Is there, have you noticed any change from how this has worked for you? Let's say, you know, I guess about five years ago when you started uh, as an independent consultant versus let's say even the last year? Yeah, great question. So a lot of times, much to my surprise, there were a lot of clients that actually still um, were looking for people to be on site. And I guess I shouldn't say much to my surprise because I serve in an interim leadership role through my consulting. So I was doing a lot of traveling back in 2017, 2018, 2019. I'll be very candid. I did not enjoy it. I did feel like I needed to honor that for the client. And now I think that a lot of clients actually aren't interested in having people come into the office. I'm really curious to see where where everything nets out. I truly thought that COVID was going to fast track the working from home for a lot of companies or allowing that choice. And it seems like that is happening for a lot of companies, but it also seems like a lot of companies are like, no, this is the way we've always done things, which I get it changes hard. But I'm super hopeful that companies begin to adopt and realize that this hybrid model or choice, if the job function allows it, will work. And that's actually one of my non-negotiables right now. Like travel wasn't a non-negotiable for me before. It is now. My son is under the age of 12. He's not available. Like he's not eligible for the vaccine yet. I've got to keep him safe. So yeah, it's funny. I'm, I'm in this similar boat. My elderly mother lives at home with me and, you know, I've worked really hard to keep her away from uh, coronavirus for over a year now. 
And I, I won't do any remote, uh, you know, interim leadership deals right now where it requires me to travel. So one of the things that's really clear to me anyway, when, when I listen to you speak, whether it's today on, on a ship or in the past, is that you are a very emotionally connected person. Do you feel that you're uh, an emotional leader? And, and if so, how does, how does that kind of play out for you? I would not consider myself an emotional leader, which is probably might be surprising. I think that I was an emotional leader before I had done a lot of the work, a lot of the self-work, meaning that I would get overwhelmed and allow my anxiety or frustrations to spill over and make, make, make decisions based on how I was feeling emotionally. Since doing that work, it's... It's surprising because I'm more vulnerable, more emotionally connected, but my decisions now are made with logic, which is it's surprising, right? Like, like you're like, oh, that's that's interesting. I I was probably a more logical thinking person prior to to all of this, and I think like like the emotional side of me bubbled up with with all of this. But like I said, I had work to do. Like I I had to get my shit and check right <laughs> what do you what do you think causes that is that is that just you know it was that bred out of necessity because you you know you're you probably had to deal with your emotion if again i'm being this personal with you but like you probably had to deal with so much emotion that you know that that you you maybe feel more able to to process it in a way maybe you haven't done before i'm trying to imagine like as other people go man she seems tina seems really put together I don't feel that way. How do I get to that place? And and so you might be like, oh, you have to have trial by fire, <laughs> uh, which is probably not what people want to hear. But I'd be interested to know if there's some kind of path to getting getting to that place. I think the numbing, like like I was trying to push down all the feelings, right, and that's when they would spill over at inconvenient times. So I mentioned, you know, like I don't think I, I said this. My husband and I also own a yoga and wellness studio. Very cool. Which has been amazing during COVID times, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm really passionate about bringing the concepts of like mindfulness and meditation and um, all of the things that are science backed that helped me kind of process through into the workplace, because I think that's such an important piece of it. Like we spend more time at work than we typically spend with our families. Let's face it. Like we're sleeping, we're working, we're with our families in the leftover hours, typically. My wife may have reminded me of that once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I think doing, like getting my emotions in check and allowing them to come up at the right times versus allowing them to spill over because like I had an emotional hijacking and didn't have it in control was a super big part of the ability to lead logically now. And I think like like a key to that, like I, I, I'm if you're not in a meditation, if you're not into those sort of things, it can feel like a little woo-woo and a little eh. It's <laughs> a great description. A little woo-woo and a little whip. You heard it here first on our ship. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. It's so, so good. It's true. Like, like people can be like, like I might be. People are like, oh, I thought I like what she was saying. Now she's dumb. Um, <laughs> oh no, 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 definitely not. But the uh, the meditation side of things, I think people overcomplicate it, and we think that we're supposed to like not have thoughts in our brain when we're meditating. And it's not that at all. It's like, it's calming the the brain. 
to say, oh, I am still thinking. Like if you're not thinking, you're dead. (laughs) So like we overcomplicate meditation. And then the thing that no one tells us is that before we can ever calm the mind, we have to calm the body. And there are so many different ways to do that. Like shaking, like if you think about like how animals are in the wild, like after a dog gets freaked out, it shakes. Like shaking literally moves any stagnant energy that you have in your body. So like focusing on the body first and then the breath and then the mind to calm. And then like you can just go into your day a whole different person, you know, and I say that. And even before this conversation, like I was super like I was super nervous, but I like I'm like, I've got tools for that. Right. It's funny. Obviously, I. I can't, you know me well enough, I can't resist cracking a good joke when I get an opportunity to. But the reality is I have done my fair share of yoga and my wife is very passionate about that type of thing and meditations and so on. And whether it's the shaking things off, the stretching, the 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 sounds, the the you know, all those types of things that they put you through in, in these in these uh classes and so on, it just helps, I think, release some of that tension inside of you. And if that helps you get to a more focused place so you can maybe at that point, get to a point where you can reflect on on yourself more and and find some inner calm, I think is is really, really important. Speaking for myself, I think everyone again approaches approaches these things in a in a in a in a different way. I guess where I was trying to go with this is that I, I think when you are you know dealing with a lot of adversity and you're you're trying to say, how do I how do I still keep my head in the game? How do I still continue to be successful professionally? successful personally. And that doesn't mean money is success, whatever your own personal definition of success is. I think that's probably making sure you're finding work-life balance and great professional success is great, but also spending time with your family, being happy, that's yeah. successful. A lot of this uh, sometimes does come by these these trial by fires. And, and I think it gives you a certain level of reassurance in yourself that you can handle adversity and maybe things are a little scary the first time you experience them. But uh, after you kind of go through them a couple of times, you start to realize that you can handle damn near anything. Totally. And, you know, for the people listening or watching our ship right now, depending on where you may be in your career or where you may be in your life, uh, even in terms of how old you may be, some of these things may feel a lot different, a lot scarier or not so scary to you where you are in that progression but I can reassure you that, you know, if you find confidence in yourself and can even use some of the techniques that Tina and I have talked about today to calm yourself a little bit so you can be present and, and deal with these things head on, you'd be really surprised what you can handle. And so, and that's, uh, again, I know I'm, I'm, I'm known for cracking jokes, but every once in a while, I can be capable of a little bit of seriousness. And uh, maybe maybe humor is my coping mechanism, because like I said, I have... I, I, I wouldn't have a show called Oh Ship if I hadn't had my earth kicked a couple of times um, <laughs> o- o- over, over the years. So, Tina, let's, uh, let's go back uh, to talking about, you know, your life again. Obviously, uh, you, you with Miles, uh, that created some great adversity for you. It sounds like Miles is doing a lot better. T- let's, let's, let's jump forward a bit. So t- tell us where, where Miles is at now. You've got a great organization you created called Miles for Miles that I think is really neat. I'd love to, I'd love to hear about. And, and then you know, maybe we can roll into a little bit around you know, what today looks like and how your family and Miles even is being impacted by the pandemic. Awesome. No, the, uh, so Miles turned 10 two awesome. weeks ago, which is crazy. We were like, we're like double, double digits. digits, big deal. Exactly. It totally is. 
So we still are doing virtual school for him. So he attends a Montessori school. We live in Ohio. He attends a Montessori school in Wisconsin, which is super interesting. But it's nice because some kids are in the classroom and other kids are virtual. So it gives him that opportunity to still interact with kids. And we're so thankful that this has actually been a really great experience for him. Uh, the plan is we're going to continue that with, with this coming up school year. He's got a cardiology appointment coming up August 23rd, which we don't know if it will be done virtually or... You, um, you mentioned person. a heart transplant earlier. Is that still something that's going to have to happen at some point? Potentially. Mm. So the surgery, the surgeries that he had, it's a progression. It be, Like I always say they rerouted his plumbing because... Yeah. <laughs> um, Serious plumbing. <laughs> exactly. So not to get too technical or too into this, but when our hearts pump our blood, they kind of go in a figure eight. And because of his anatomy, his was going kind of in a circle. And so they put this conduit basically that attaches to his lungs. So when his lungs contract, that's what pushes the blood out. So his heart ironically actually isn't doing much of the work anymore. His lungs are like an augmented engine for his heart. Totally. That is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Medicine's so, so amazing. Wow. It's, it's amazing. Like if he would have been born, you know, 30 years ago, Freddie, like we would not have the Understand. same prognosis. Yeah. yeah. And then this, this tube that sits outside so that the blood is going to his upper extremities yeah. and then it's going down through the tube to get to his lower extremities. So what happens is that blood is actually the first place that it's hitting in his lower extremities is his liver. So liver transplants are also pretty common. Yeah. We have become so passionate about research, which is why we started Miles for Miles, because of the amazing advancements that have happened. Like they're working on a pump right now that would keep the pressures that hit the liver at a lot lower pressure so that they don't have to worry about cirrhosis in the future. The heart, we just, we watch it. We go in every six months. He gets an echo every six months. You know, they're monitoring his exercise capacity, his blood oxygen, oxygenation, saturation levels. For the most part, like if you look at him, you wouldn't know that anything was going on. He's definitely had some, some emotional challenges. Who knows? Like, like that could be because of our parenting style. Like, like, like he could have had all of that stuff anyway. It's hard to know, you know, but, but there is a lot of research that, um, that's just, again, that's just come out in the last 10 years or so about how kids with complex congenital heart defects are impacted neurologically. Again, they don't know why he was, you know, in each uh, surgery that he had, he was on heart-lung bypass, so they stopped his heart during surgery. There's been some known effects that, that come as a result of that. Uh, again, there's just also the fact that he had low oxygen levels when he was when he was first born but you know like i said the research is so important which is why we've we created the miles for miles we actually created the miles for miles to begin with the so miles for miles for our audience can you tell a little more specifically what it is sure sure beyond so, having um, a super catchy name <laughs> uh, which we're going by m for m now because he does not okay. want his name associated <laughs> okay cool so it's M for M, DBA, miles for miles. Okay, M for uh, M. He could be having a Prince moment, by the way. You know, five <laughs> years from now, he could go back and say, I want miles back in there. Totally. Um, so, you know, totally. you've got the whim of a very young CEO. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, this is true. Uh, which, P.S., like bringing work to home totally facilitates that too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, but anyway, so so we established this as a 501c uh, charity. We actually got our designation as a charitable organization in 2020. <laughs> Go figure. But we started collecting money that we were donating to the Saving Tiny Hearts Society out of Chicago that like 98% of their proceeds go to fund grassroots research for heart defects. The numbers are crazy low around the percentage, like from the American Heart Association, that actually goes to pediatric uh, cardiology or congenital heart defects. So research became super important to us. Like I said, we started this back in 2015. We started collecting money back in 2015. As he was going into his last surgery, we were like, we've got to do something that makes us calms our nerves and like takes all this frenetic energy and puts it towards something else. So we organized a virtual 5k back in 2015. We asked people to, to dress as superheroes and to run their, their five, their uh, 5k while he was in surgery. So post pictures to our Facebook page or videos to our Facebook page as he was in surgery And not only did that give us something else to focus on, they were really cool pictures and videos to show him as he was recovering. That's lovely. Yeah. So that's like, that's kind of how the idea came about. Between 2015 and 2020, we've been able to collect and donate close to $50,000 to Saving Tiny Hearts. Um, Yeah. And we're, um, we also came across these other really phenomenal organizations that we're hopeful to donate to as well. Like, there's a, this camp called Flying Horse Farms. It's a Paul Newman camp, and uh, they're all about allowing kids to be kids. And we've we've been there as a family, and like a phenomenal experience. All the staff are doctors. It was probably the first time we felt normal <laughs> ever, and like that we were able to allow him to I've just. Good news for you, Tina. I don't think anyone is actually normal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Funny enough, Freddie, I was going to say the same thing to you when you were talking about like, like everyone's going through their own crap, right? Yeah, so yeah. it doesn't matter what it is. Like, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I, I, I used to think I was a bit weird or a bit eccentric. <laughs> and I've really come to the conclusion, everyone's just a bit weird. We're all our different, all our different kind of weird. In fact, yeah, in yeah. fact, if someone was like super normal, even in that weird way, that would make them super freaking weird. Totally. Uh, so it's like totally. so it's all it's all uh, all all relevant in perspective. Totally, totally. Um, but yeah, so miles for miles, saving tiny hearts, we're supporting. Uh, Fly horse farms, we're supporting. Make a wish, we're supporting. So anything that supports research or has helped us impact the quality of life for him, since we have no idea what the quantity will be, right? I love that. And I think it's, it's great that um, I think that you created that both because it seems like it's doing something really positive at a macro level, but it also does something really positive for miles and, and gives, it lets him know they're out there, people rallying for him. And I think it's really cool. Yeah. So um, just being conscious of time, I'm going to ask you one more question and kind of spin this back over to some of the kind of core themes uh, of O'Ship. Uh, you know, you are very intelligent, very uh, successful leader in the corporate space. Uh, you've applied your knowledge both in some of the roles you talked about earlier, but also with some really big brands in, as an independent consultant, like Singer Viking as one example. How has the experiences that you've had personally in your life and, and some of the things we've been talking about through the theory of the, uh, you know, through this out the show 
H- how has that impacted maybe business decisions you're making? I don't know, marketing decisions. Like, in my, like in, I'm guessing it's gone full circle, you know, because you've clearly transformed so much. It can't just have impacted that one side. Totally. You know, everything that I do is people first. Even when I'm looking at e-commerce, I'm thinking about the person's shopping experience, right? And I'm also thinking about the experience that I'm giving to my client. Like it's that emotional connection that we have that gets people to, to, I hate to say it, to take the action that we want them to. And I think once you know that, once you understand that it's all about experience and connection, the rest falls into place. And I said, I hate to say that, but really, I don't even want to shy away from that. Like, I think just being open, candid and honest about that is the truth. There's nothing sneaky about that. My relationships, my vulnerability, my authenticity, that's all real. And I think by bringing that to business, my relationships tend to to last. You know, I've I've formed. I, I still talk to to former clients, even though we're not clients, or you know, even though they're not clients any longer. I don't I don't want to keep someone on as a client for for five years. I want to get in, help them solve their problems, and get out. But that doesn't mean the relationship has to end. So it's all about people. It's all about experience, regardless of what we're doing. And I think that's the important piece of overlap that really was, again, one of the gifts that I got out of all of this that I'm able to then bring into the business side of the world. I love that. That is uh, that is good rules to live by. And it's nice to hear it all came full circle. I really enjoyed today's chat. I hope our audience did as well. Um, I think it was a very different kind of OSHIP episode and really focusing, yes, some of the business inspiring stories that we like there and, and certainly a you know, in the world's, world's biggest ship story, but really being able to take a very personal approach to dealing with adversity and, and how that's impacted Tina and how she's uh, dealt with that, I'm hoping inspires some of our audience. If you enjoyed today's episode and you want to support us, the best thing you can do is give us a like, follow us. Something this is a show that we do just because we're passionate about it. I love bringing some of these really interesting folks I've been able to meet over the years uh, together and have chats with them on camera and share them with our audience. We're very appreciative for all the people that chime in and chat. If you're watching the show live or if you're watching it afterwards on YouTube or on our recently released podcast uh, or on uh, uh, Facebook or LinkedIn, wherever you're tuning in. We really appreciate you. So thank you so much uh, for watching O'Ship. Tina, thank you again for, for joining us today. Any final words? So you've probably heard me say this before, but I, instead of saying when life hands you lemons, make lemonade, I like to live by the motto, when life gives you rotten bananas, make chocolate chip banana bread because it's- That sounds delicious. Good advice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Really great. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Tina, thanks again for joining us. I always love chatting with you and sharing your inspiring story with us. And we'll see all of you next week on O-Ship. The O-Ship Show is brought to you by Chameleon Collective, where we lead, scale, and adapt to build and grow great companies. You can learn more at chameleoncollective.com. Freddie, we'll see you next time when we will once again be raising the sales for the O-Ship Show.